It's very easy to lead when all your actions are going to be justified and popular. You really need the kind of leadership that, you know, look at our own sort of Winston Churchill. The ability to make tough, unpopular decisions against public opinion, against the opinion of your peers, because you understand something about the world that other people don't understand at the moment. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, entrepreneur, investor, and language learning legend whose app Looper helps intermediates to advanced speakers converse in a natural way through refining skills for real life speaking and listening. The demo blew my mind at Podcast Movement Evolutions when I saw what he and his team were doing. Fellow Brit Daniel Reno now lives in Texas and he reveals why he was already uncomfortable about making trips back in February 2020. But I'm glad he made one of them because if he hadn't, we wouldn't know each other. My conversation with early mask wearer Daniel covers clapping, guns, Texas, the risk of good leadership and thoughts on future disruptions in society. Enjoy. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Daniel Reno, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thanks for being on the show. Great to be here, Toby. So you are a Brit, but you are in Austin, Texas. You also live in Columbia as well. Is that right? Sometimes That's right. My... My main base as of the last year and a half has been in Austin, Texas, beautiful city. And I was in Medellin, Colombia before that. And I try and spend a few months there each year, like three, four months during the summer. This summer has been different for obvious reasons, but it's it's also a lovely city as well. Highly recommended. Great. I'm looking forward to being able to travel again. So tell me since, you know, we saw each other in February in the States, what's your experience of the pandemic been like on a local level? Because it it feels like the communications you and I've had, you were like on it. You were on the case, you were tracking it in China, you were interested in this stuff before. So you're one of the few people I know who is kind of probably more acutely aware than others. But I mean, I'm really interested in what your experience has been in your state, I suppose, where you are. You know, this is surprising. I've been watching this since late January. I got hip to it through Chris Martinson's daily video broadcast on the coronavirus pandemic. And he started that, or I think, 24th of January. And so initially, when I was looking at it, I thought, okay, this is probably going to be another like scare that we'd had before with Ebola and SARS and MERS and everything like that. When I saw the way he presented it, and they'd actually locked down a whole city the size of New York, I was kind of like, you know, holy shit, this is, this is real. So I 
started thinking about like what does what, what does that reality look like and one level you're kind of powerless to do anything because unless you're in a a position of power or leadership on a national scale of one of the big institutes the, the best you can do is kind of watch what happens so you can prepare locally and that's that's basically what we did uh, my wife and I um, here we were sort of like socially distancing when we met in LA in the middle of February I was I was quite reluctant to do that trip but I had been uh, committed to, to doing it otherwise I wouldn't have traveled uh, it was just sort of a big unknown it was I felt it was an unnecessary risk so you know my personal situation has been fine what's been happening in my local community I I mean I can't really speak too much about what's happening in the, the civic space because I'm, I'm a little bit disconnected from that. I don't follow a huge amount of local news. Just walking around, people seem to be taking it now relatively seriously. You see more people walking around with face masks and the neighbours were socially distancing. That said, yeah, I took a little walk around sort of down the high street. I'm near the sort of city centre in Austin a couple of days ago, like on, on Friday night. And it kind of started feeling like the usual sort of Austin uh, weekend a little bit. I mean, places were closed, but there were groups of people hanging out and chatting and not too many face masks and things. So I think it really depends on just what your immediate circle is. So my immediate circle with my neighbor, neighbors, even though I'm close to downtown, it's kind of a suburban feel. People are in detached houses and they're kind of doing their thing and there's this sort of consciousness. I honestly couldn't say really much about what's happening outside, you know, other than the people I interact with, the businesses I interact with, uh, grocery stores and things like that. Um, We've seen some good amount of leadership. Of course, yeah. So I'm just wondering, because you're aware of it much more than than I was, uh, many other people were before, what did preparation look like? Because preparation where I am was panic buying toilet roll for many people. And preparation for someone else I spoke to in Utah was buying 2,000 extra rounds of ammo. So what, what did preparation, and that's a true story, what did preparation look like to you? It did, it did cross my mind. So I've been, in, I've been in the States for 20 years now. I came in 2000. And being a Brit, I have a sort of aversion to, to guns. Though I understand the gun culture now in a way that I didn't appreciate, you know, it's coming from Britain and in a way that I think a lot of Brits don't don't really uh, get it, what it is. Uh, it's kind of caricatured. That said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go out and buy myself a gun. So preparation is basically food, toilet rolls, you know, the bleaches and various, various things where I, I wanted to know that I wouldn't have to go out if things... We, the, the thing is, it's like we know what it is like now. When looking at it from then, I mean, you... The, the, the unknowns were so much bigger than the knowns. I mean, they still are in a way, but I mean, now we at least understand that, okay, the stores are open and these things are available and these things are not available. But that's benefit of hindsight. So the basic approach was just assume that you can't get stuff. Or what, what, what are the basics that you're going to need? And I did take some extra precautions, you know, making sure I had some torches or flashlights, as they call them in the States and some sort of battery packs and a few things where, just in case, uh, which we're probably not going to need, water filter. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an urban kid, so I'm not really sort of like cut out for surviving in the wild. So just tried to make sure I had enough things around me, 
that, you know, could just get on with life and, and not worry too much about sort of competing with everyone else. And, uh, the fewer people who are kind of like in the shops fighting it out, whatever, the, the better it is for everyone. So it's, uh, and I also try to get other people to sort of do the same, but I don't think most people are very receptive to this until, until they saw other people immediately in their vicinity, like not me, not just me, sort of reacting to it. I can imagine a man with a British accent walking around Austin in January going, you know, you need to, that would have maybe not, not come across that well, but well, great. I mean, great that you were, were ahead of it and that you're okay. And um, I respect you for not buying a gun, even though you had the choice. <laughs> I don't trust, I wouldn't trust myself with it. I've never fired one. I think I fired an air rifle when I was a kid yeah. in school. But There's been a, there's been a thing here, which you probably know, because you, I know you've still got family here and stuff, that every Thursday night, eight o'clock, we all go outside and clap the carers and the uh, doctors and nurses of the NHS. And there was an article today that I read, which was doctors were telling people to take it easy with the clapping because there have been some clapping related injuries. So, um, you know, just remember, you, <laughs> just remember you come from here. And, you know, if people are injuring themselves clapping, they certainly shouldn't be carrying a gun, especially if you're from um, this part of the world. Yeah, I mean, the clapping thing is, has been really interesting. And, and I, I know, like, because I work on, you know, in a company where we work remotely. So I'm used to working at home, but I get to interact with my colleagues, a dozen or so of us who are all over the world, really. You know, we've got folks in South America and across the States in the UK, but also Israel and all, all around. And you, you see some interesting things happening. Like the, 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 the UK thing of you know, clapping for the NHS, I think is, is, a, is a really great sort of community. It's a really good way of bringing the focus on, on what is the right issue. This is where, where, when a... In the, in the months, you know, there was a couple of months where, where I was concerned about this thing, the coronavirus, and the rest of the world wasn't. And, you know, what I was generally hearing from people was, yeah, I'm not too worried about it. If I get it, I get it. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll just take it as, I, as it goes. You know, I wanted to try and get the message across early on about like, no, it's not, not about you. You know, this is, we're basically in a boat and what, drilling a hole under your seat in the boat isn't isn't just about you, you know, there's every, everyone else. And the best way to express that was saying, like, you know, do you, do you care about doctors and nurses? Because they're the ones who are going to suffer because of, you know, if there's an outbreak and if it overwhelms the healthcare system, they're going to, it's not just that they're going to work, but they're going to die. They're going to be like soldiers. And so maybe the one, maybe the one of the only good things I've seen come out of the UK is essentially focusing everybody's attention just on that one one thing. And that's a good piece of leadership. We don't have an NHS in the United States. Um, unfortunately, we've got this kind of like dog's breakfast of a healthcare system, which is kind of the worst of everything. So maybe there isn't a kind of a single NHS type of label to put on it. But I've seen other things. In my, my, my co-founder, Joseph, he's in Mill Valley, California. Every evening... Around about seven o'clock, the the kids do wolf calls. So he's in a more, sort of more country area, and they get basically howl for I don't know ten fifteen minutes, and it's their way of kind of social the kids socially interacting with each other and knowing that they're there because they can't go play with their friends, and that's that's quite cool. So you see see different things in different places. That's really really nice to hear. So look, I was kind of doing my due diligence. We met in person. We've kind of had different 
interactions about various things. And I thought I'd visit your LinkedIn profile. And your LinkedIn profile says, and I quote, I enjoy figuring out what users want that the market isn't providing and building good products to fill the gap. Now, crisis, as we all know, brings out innovation. And this your work with Looper, the app, is, is really relevant. So my question is, the preface that that was, my question is, well, since I saw you in Feb, how have you, if at all, adopted your offer or, 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 and your business since, since this has taken hold? So we're, we're quite lucky. So for people listening who don't know what Lupe is and what Jive World does, Jive World is my company. We build language learning software. It's a mobile app and it's really concentrated on intermediate and advanced speakers, in this case, Spanish speakers, who want to improve their listening and become fluent in able to speak to, to like people in a very natural way. So the problem that I was finding when I moved to Colombia was that I could I, people could understand my Spanish, but I couldn't always understand their Spanish. I could understand them when they were speaking kind of very clean, polite Spanish, like the Spanish I'd learned and the Spanish that the teachers speak. But when they're just speaking naturally and casually, I, I couldn't follow along and a lot of people get that. So that was the problem we were we we set out to solve, or at least this about a little over six months ago. Because it's an online learning product, uh, we've what we've experienced, I mean, it hasn't really changed our business that much in, in that we've actually had a lot of calls coming in from schools, from teachers who are looking for alternative ways of doing interesting things in their Spanish classes on, online. Um, and at the moment, Spanish is our you know, our one product. Uh, we're we're going to do other languages after that. So we've, we've seen a lot of incoming interest. We've also had a, a lot of people who now have time on their hands, which they didn't have before, in a time when they were going out and socializing or whatever, they can't do that. And they're looking for other things to do at home. And so many people want to improve their, their language skills. And so we've seen demand pick up there. We did see a sudden drop in like late February, early March. Uh, that was worrying. And I think that was, we believe that was when people were kind of reassessing their financial commitments, you know, their subscriptions and basically worried about their, their jobs and what income they would have. And so we saw a sort of sudden decrease and that, that was kind of worrying. And we started taking, uh, you know, thinking about what does that mean for our company if we're bringing less revenue and what does it mean for our, our roadmap. In late March and April, things have picked up to where they were before and we seem to be on a happy path. So business-wise, business it's, it's, we've been one of the very fortunate ones. You know, I wouldn't like to be a restaurant owner or in the travel industry or in many other industries at the moment, but uh, we've been okay. Yeah, well, that's that's great news. We found the same, and in, in the industry you see with with the podcasting industry, there was a sharp drop for a couple of weeks. Definitely, listenership was down. You know, and, and people subscribe to podcasts; they don't pay to listen to them, though. So some of some of that drop, I imagine, is is not necessarily driven by financial. It's also driven by the fact that people don't know what what they're doing with their time and how they're doing it. Like we're now seeing. The same with the podcasting industry that the listenership is going back up again. It's still up, I don't know, I think it was 18% on last year globally. So it's still up, it's still grown. 
But now we're seeing listeners, listenership move back up again. One of the things we're seeing is like people are listening more on desktops than they are on mobiles. Of course they are, you know. So it's interesting seeing people in in data reorganize their life and their world when they're accommodating homeschooling and caring and all of that stuff, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Actually, it's a surprise to me that people are listening more on desktop than than the mobile. That that that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I I mean this was this was a very very sudden shock. I mean I I don't think any of us have been alive at a time where I mean some people experience very sudden changes in their life, sort of catastrophic changes. But something that happens like this everywhere at the same time in the whole world with this many unknowns. Your first reaction isn't is to basically stop everything and think, okay, what does this mean to me? Well, you know, do I need to go to the shops and buy toilet paper? What do I do with my kids if they're being schooled at home? And so you would expect this huge sudden disruption where people just like figure out what does this mean? What does it mean for my elderly parents? What does it mean in all sorts of ways for my business and for my job? And now we're at a stage, I think, where we've got into this kind of new normal. You know, this week was very, is very similar to last week for, for most people, whereas last week wasn't very similar to, let's say, a week, two months previous. And so adapting to that change, it's, it's, it's just very disruptive. And so I think everybody's kind of experienced, experienced that in some form or other. Yeah, 100%. A lot of people that I've spoken with are talking about the stages of grief and likening it to that. So look, you know, you're a clever guy. You've run a business. You're an investor. You were planning ahead before most of us were. So I've got these two questions that I've started to ask together now, which, are, which is how, how are we going to continue to get through this? And what do you think the other side's going to look, look like post, let's say, va- vaccine if, if we get, get that far, which I'm sure we will? Okay. Yeah, I, I've got. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've had a lot of time to think about it and sort of organise my thoughts. I wrote a letter to my what, what we call members, you know, employees and investors. Whereas we're a self-funded company, so we have a sort of particular relationship with the, the people we work with. And I wrote this on the 16th, 16th of March. I send them sort of letters to tell them how the business is going and the problems. So everybody's kind of like on the same page. And th- this one was really themed around leadership. And uh, this, to me, is, is the leitmotif, the, the, the recurrent theme. And we're going to either experience or suffer more. We'll either see the good leaders arise or we'll see the consequences of lack of leadership. I don't even call it bad leadership. It's really what I'm seeing now is, is a lack of leadership. So it's quite understandable for you know, the, average, the average person who's not in the epidemiology, who's not a virologist, who you know, doesn't understand this world to, to react to, to, to this new normal slowly. However, there are a lot of people in this world who were, were in privileged positions. You know, they were the experts. Uh, they worked at the WHO or the CDC, or they were leaders of large companies where they get briefed on these things. They're politicians, you know, leaders of administrations. And they knew about this stuff. They were briefed about this. And the question is, what did they, what did they do? I mean, if this thing was apparent to me, and I, I, I'm really not the furthest thing away from a, a specialist in this area. So I was just working on what I was, was seeing from other people, so independent-minded 
broadcasters, podcasters, uh, videocasters, all these people who had much more privileged information, they basically, as, this is my interpretation, they, was, they were scared to do anything that, because no one, else was, no one else was taking tough decisions back in January or February. They weren't shutting down you know, flights. They weren't doing the things that would have saved a whole hurt, world of hurt. And to, to me, that's, that's seriously problematic. And the, so, so I, I actually think that the, the, the technical problem of how to, to deal with this virus, that, that's going to be handled. We've got very smart, creative people. I mean, we're talking about millions, tens of millions of people with all sorts of skills that can be applied to this problem. We've got the whole world now focused on solving this very well-defined problem. You know, what is this virus? How do we mitigate it? you know, the, the effect it has. It may not necessarily be a vaccine, but I mean, there's a whole, whole host of issues, logistic issues, uh, the sort of like the PPE, the, the, the non-pharmaceutical intervention aspect of it, and also how to mitigate the effects of the disease so that when you get it, it's more, it, it's a, a relatively benign illness rather than a fatal illness or something that's going to give you a, a sort of like a chronic, chronic affliction. So my confidence is high that you've got the human capital, the financial capital, the political capital at a global scale to, you know, understand what this, this virus is and figure out how to treat it and how to manufacture the treatments, how to spread the knowledge. It does seem some days that we're moving backwards rather than forwards, but on the whole, I, I, I do have faith that we can solve these sort of problems. Problems I see are more of the social problems. Um, and some of that is going to is coming directly from I think the lack of leadership that you're you're seeing in the world. I mean, we we still have a world where we respect, you know, to some degree, our the media and the politicians and the medical experts. And now we're seeing in real time how they're failing us. And the the harm is it's not an ideological thing anymore. I mean, it's like you know people are losing their jobs suffering real consequences from this, severe consequences, the reaction to that or how people process that aspect of the world, I think is, is what we should be looking for. And honestly, I worry that when we look back at 2020 and 2021, maybe the, the thing that it's remembered for isn't the coronavirus. It's the, that will be the, you know, that will be maybe a, a historical note, uh, you know, of the proximal cause of some other sort of big social political change. I mean, yeah, this is this is more bigger than the scope of this podcast to talk about, like you know, get into the economics and the politics and the you know the social aspects. But that's really what my antennas out there looking for now. So I'm not, I'm not. I was worried about the virus in January. Now we're at the beginning of May. My antennas out is looking for like disruptions and behaviors in society, looking to see if real leaders can step forward to see the consequences. It's, yeah, that's what's on my mind at the moment. Yeah, mine, mine too. I, I think we've had, a, we've had a really interesting one in the UK because we've had a, a leader who's not being particularly loved by the NHS get saved by the NHS. So there's been a positive softening. This isn't like a political standpoint i think that the fact that the leader of the uk has had the virus will further i hope motivate him to to lead you know in the right way and help the nhs workers first and that's yeah so it's it's a strange feeling 
strange feeling. What we, I mean, what, what we really want are people who can lead before someone gives them permission to lead. You know, everybody is, you know, they point to Cuomo, for example. Yeah, it's great, it's great what he's doing now, but it's, you know, he's in a political position where when everybody is worried about this, then, yeah, he can step forward and be the voice of reason, the, the calm voice that everyone looks to. But the real leadership, you know, should have ha- been happening in, in January when no one, none of the politicians were stepped forward and saying we should do these unpopular things and willing to be unpopular in, in, in proposing them. I mean, they may, may or may not have been successful, but it seemed that people were acting more out of fear or cowardice, really. You know, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to lead when, you, you, you know, all your actions are going to be justified and popular. You really need the kind of leadership that, you know, look at our own sort of Winston Churchill, um, you know, that kind of thing, the, the ability to make tough, unpopular decisions against public opinion, against the opinion of your peers, because you understand, uh, you, you can understand something about the world that other people don't understand at the moment. So uh, what, there's, there's still some things that I'm seeing in the, in, in the UK, specifically about the, the, the advice against the use of masks. Now, can I, I understand exactly what the mechanism is driving that? I mean, the, the evidence seems to be incontrovertible that wearing a mask outside, like everybody wearing a mask outside is a great way to stop the virus spreading. And I've looked at this a lot, a lot of different angles. It seems that the reason why the the UK government, um, supported by most of the media, especially the BBC, is telling, saying only people who are sick, who knows who they're sick, if they're sick. I mean, this is a disease that manifests itself asymptomatically. So, I mean, you could be spreading the disease long before or even without ever showing symptoms. Um, so if you're sick or if you're caring after people are, are sick, that, that, that to me is, there's something very, very wrong with that advice in, with, with very strong evidence that, 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 that that's the wrong advice. But they're doing that because they don't want people to, originally because they didn't want people to buy all the PPE, you know, that should be, you know, first available to the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare workers and the sort of critical service workers. But instead of saying, yes, wear, you know, wear some covering for your face, obviously it's going to stop some something, even if it's 50% effective, it's, that's, that makes a huge difference. Uh, that reduces the R0, the R0 of this, this disease. But yeah, use something. But if you've got an N95 mask, that's for the nurses and doctors. You know, and instead of saying that message, I believe that, you know, they're still saying, basically telling a lie. You know, they'll say something like um, wearing a mask gives you a full sense of security, which can make things worse. I mean, that is a very, very weak argument. I mean, it's like saying, yeah, you shouldn't wear a seatbelt when you drive because, you know, by wearing a seatbelt, it encourages you to take more risks when you're driving. So you're going to drive more dangerously. So therefore, no one should ever wear a seatbelt or you shouldn't wear a bicycle helmet because it makes you more reckless when you're wearing it. I mean, these are very specious arguments. And they're, they're, they're being put forward for the wrong reasons. So anyway, that's <laughs> that, those are the things which could, could be addressed so easily, but it would, it would mean that someone's going to have egg on their face for giving the wrong information you know, for the last last two months. But, you know, when you look at the numbers in the UK, I mean, it's one of the worst in the world at the moment. And I believe that 
that is to a large extent just because of that one bit of bad advice that was, you know, given for maybe with good intentions, but for absolutely the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, we are certainly distancing and we have finally got a couple of masks that have come through. So, yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's really it's really tough, but it's it's great to hear that that you think masks are good. Yeah, I mean, I I want to sort of, you know just mention something about the leadership because the leadership doesn't necessarily have to come from appointed leaders. Correct. Yeah. Some something that I was doing early on and sort of quite consciously was you know I was wearing my mask in public when it was very unpopular. You know, when it was a very weird, socially awkward thing to do. You know, so when I when I flew to when when I flew to Los Angeles back for when we met, I I wore a mask on the on the plane, and I wasn't actually particularly worried about catching the virus. Um, so it wasn't really that was, that was driving me. But I was thinking, like, it's such a weird thing to do. People have got to get socialized to it. It's people that want to do this stuff before they kind of have social permission. Now, when, when everybody else is wearing a mask, then it's awkward not to wear a mask. But when no one is wearing a mask, you don't want to be the first one out there. So leadership can be just something as simple as, you know, being that guy and, you know, just go, going out there and doing something which, you know, is, is awkward and unpopular. You know, that, that ties back to entrepreneurialism as well. I mean, it's about, you know, if, if, if you want to make it, as an entrepreneur, you've got to basically understand and see and build to a future that other people can't see and take a risk. And, you know, if, if it was so obviously the right thing to do, then everybody else would have already done it. So you have to be kind of, I don't know if maverick's the right word, but you have to, you have to go against the general consensus, the non-consensus. Yeah. Well, and you have to be okay about, you know, not worrying about what people think of you which is like a big part of that, right? And, and then I suppose when you're, when you're on a plane, if I saw someone in a mask, I mean, I saw people in masks in Heathrow in London when I took that trip in Feb, but I didn't see any masks on the plane and I certainly didn't see any, anything in the US. And then by the time I got back to London again, I was starting to see the odd mask on the train and not really sort of clocking it too much because I'm not on the train that much, but then listening to my wife as she's in London, you know, all week long saying, yeah, there's more, there's more masks, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's, it also ties back to the conversation. I've had a few conversations like this on the podcast, but Helen Appleby was someone who I was speaking to about, about what other leaders were doing and, in business leaders were doing and how they were treating their staff and how they were preparing for it and how they were perhaps even closing down before the government required them to. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a time to lead and it's, it's good to hear that you are thinking like that and you're leading your business in that way. But I, I'm guessing like, like me, you're feeling pretty fortunate that you can run a company from home right now. It, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, because we are a remote team, this hasn't impacted us, which then you know, raises the question about, okay, if, if you're not struggling with the new logistics, what, what, what else can you do? And I know there's many more things that you know, um, I should and could be doing like proactively to help in the community. We're trying to do you know, some things, but I'm always so painfully aware that you know, there's, there's always that extra step 
that you, you you can do to help other people that you know maybe I'm not doing. Um, but the, the this this concept of of leadership and leadership is just something that everybody can can manifest, and it's something that you really want to if you have kids. You want to teach them about leadership and demonstrating that leadership and, and, and understand what that means. Um, I mean, I hope it doesn't come off as a trite, a trite term. I think it's actually a very, a very profound and serious, serious idea and uh, 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 topic. And it's not, it's not one of these sort of vague things about like, you know, it's not a kumbaya type of thing. Um, leadership is quite often doing unpopular or awkward things and uh, risking being wrong in a very public way and 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 leadership is 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 i think a service which is um maybe an odd way to think about it you know you think i guess you have people who serve and people who lead but actually the 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 leadership itself is is supposed to be a service to others um and that's that's i i think the right way to the right way to think about it so yeah, that's the that's the thing on my mind. So ho- hopefully we're going to see leadership at every level. I mean, not just at the top level, but um, you know, people stepping forward and and taking care of themselves, taking care of their families and their neighbours and their communities, and then sort of out from there. And I think that's that's really going to make make the big difference. So do what you can on a personal level, and then try and identify the people, the genuine leaders who are smart who do the right kind of leadership as well all kind of leadership has got another set of problems but people are at least brave um and somewhat have got a good model of the world and support them and promote them even if they're unpopular figures like a lot of the people i see showing leadership are kind of not mainstream folks the, you know, you're kind of a little embarrassed to sort of like talk about them maybe because, you know, they're not the traditional leaders. They may be fringe uh, figures, but leadership is leadership. And when, whenever I see it, I think it should be recognized. Yeah, respect. So, look, let's, um, let's kind of close this off with, with my, my final question, which is, you know, since, since this has happened and we're talking about leadership anyway, but is there anything that's specifically impressed you that you've seen yeah i mean a lot of a lot of things have have impressed me so it's when you get something that stirs the pot so vigorously um you're, you're gonna see a lot of negative and a lot of positive things i've been really impressed about how some of the the the, the businesses have responded locally yeah i'm a big I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship for you know, the reasons I was mentioning before, but it, it's quite interesting to see uh, there, there's a local grocery chain here called HEB. This is a Texas thing, so, you know, like a Safeways or something like that, but specific to Texas. And, you know, compared to, let's say, Whole Foods, Whole Foods actually came from Austin originally. That was the, this was the birth, birth town of, of Whole Foods. You, you see the way that HEB has, has responded in providing services like delivery services, things which care for the elderly in the community who you know, are more constrained about how they, they travel, protecting their own workers, coming up with these new systems of curbside pickups, redesigning their stores so that you know, the, their workers are protected and the, shop, the, the shoppers are protected making sure that they were, you know, a month or more ahead in trying to 
get new s- supplies of the things that you know other other stores have run out of um, you know those kind of acts of leadership i think really impress me and it gives me gives me hope that you know in entrepreneurial countries like the uk and like the us you know leadership might come at that level um, so yeah i'm i'm actually kind you know short term i'm optimistic that we're going to solve this this that the medical aspects of this medium term i'm kind of pessimistic about like what's going to happen when the the you know social bonds break apart but long term i i am optimistic that we have the 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 basic human trust at an individual level that we and you know that kind of leadership maybe at least at the at the, the the sort of like community level that, that we're going to need to actually maybe even get to a better a better world and a better community than you know we've had in the, the, the last decade or two yeah that's that's my hope too really great just to listen to you speak daniel about how you feel about this stuff and yeah i mean it's it, it's fantastic so thank you thanks so much for your time you know i feel like doing these podcasts to me has become a bit like therapy you know it's it's my way to socially interact with people um, um you know outside of outside of the day-to-day of of just doing doing the business stuff so i'm really enjoying it and this was certainly no exception to that well toby i, re- I mean i really appreciate what you're doing this is important and actually i've been I have to say that the the independent media, the indie media voices are the ones that I'm spending my time on. Like the the, the kind of things that you're doing, other podcasters are doing. That having kinds of conversations that you know the the mainstream media isn't having. You know, you're not you're not getting that from the uh, talking talking heads on the cable news channels or on the broadcast news channels. And that's where that's where I'm seeing the wisdom is is coming from. And it's it's that it's not easy to to figure this stuff out. I mean, we're all trying to do it, but this podcast, like the one that we're doing now, that that's where we explore the ideas and where the wisdom really comes from. I believe. So just keep keep doing it, man. Thanks, man. So look, let's let's go back to you. Let's go back to Lupo. What you're doing? It's, I mean, incredible. When I watched your presentation, I was like, wow, this is some space age learning. I I was sad that i didn't have it at school when i was growing <laughs> up so your your app is incredible the, the way you're talking to people and sharing stories and helping them learn language at the same time it's just so so cool so tell people it, i imagine that there are a number of people in quarantine who who are wanting to polish their spanish so where where can they go so if you visit lupa.app that's l u p a Dot app Lupa means magnifying glass in Spanish. You, you'll see what the product is. You can download it. There's a couple of stories you can just trial out and see whether it's the right product for you. It's not for everyone. You, you have to have a reasonable level of, of Spanish. I, sh- I should also mention, you know, we're, we're, we work very adjacent to the podcasting and radio world. So we partnered with Radio Ambulante, which is this wonderful podcast in the Spanish language, telling stories about Latin America. And really, we, we, we created a listening, an assisted listening experience for language learners um, so that they can listen to those stories. There's a, these amazing kind of long-form narrative journalism stories and follow along in a way that they would have trouble with, uh, you know, without being a, a, fluent, a fluent listener of, of Spanish. So... 
if you're into podcasts and you know and i'm i'm a, i'm an absolute podcast addict a radio radio head it's 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 a really good way of kind of getting your getting your ears around a language because you're hearing the voices from all, all over latin america and beyond so you know the the the, the way that you know a police officer in chile speaks isn't the same way as a politician in cuba and all these stories they cover so many different people and they're they're telling their that the stories in their own voice you know the things that really happen to them and so it's a real kind of like it's it's a challenging but thing but it's it's a real feast for the ears and if you really want to be able to have conversations with real people in another language i believe this is pretty much the only way to go about it you've actually got to be hearing those the the authentic voices not 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 the sort of cleaned up versions of the language that that uh, you, you get in in, in most like language apps and courses and stuff like that. So it's it's real authentic stuff, and we're, we're trying to do that in in other languages too. So if you, you know, we're working on an English study apps using English language podcasts for audiences in Latin America and Japan that we want to launch this year, and then other languages, you know, French, Portuguese. Ultimately, every language, but uh, we started with Spanish. So check out Lupa L U P A dot A P P if you're interested. Thanks, Daniel. I'll put all the links on the show notes. Of course, thanks, sir. Thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, Toby. Again, appreciate really appreciate what you're doing. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan, with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cars 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar, if you're feeling pod-curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com. <laughs>